You're invited to The Prom, the next Broadway and Chicago show at the Cadillac Palace Theater, playing for one week only, April 19th through 24th. This show is described as having a Jewish soul. The Prom is a musical comedy about big Broadway stars on a mission to change the world and the love they discover that unites them all. Okay, real talk. I saw this show on Broadway and was dancing in my seat the whole time when I wasn't crying. Okay, sometimes I was dancing and crying at the same time. The Prom makes you believe in musical comedy again and is so full of happiness that you think your heart is going to burst. Everyone deserves a chance to celebrate at the Cadillac Palace Theater for one week only, April 19th through 24th. And Mishkan Chicago gets a special discount code. The code is PARTY49 for $49 tickets, valid for April 19th and 20th, evening shows only, and the 21st in the orchestra, dress circle, and loge seating area. Again, PARTY49. So get tickets now at broadwayinchicago.com. Welcome to Shabbat Replay on Contact High. Today's episode is a pre-Passover sermon delivered by Rabbi Dina at our Friday night Shabbat service on April 8th. If you're listening to this before Passover, and you're still looking for second night Seder plans, may we humbly suggest our own. Mishkan's virtual Seder on Saturday night won't fill up, so you could even join us if your plans fall through. There's a link to the registration page in the show notes. Now, take it away, Rabbi. In the spring of 2018, when I was working as a chaplain for people who are recently incarcerated or transitioning out of prison, I posted the following status just before Passover. This week, I was sitting with my weekly spirituality group at the Wellness Center, an outpatient addiction treatment center, where I was doing my prison chaplaincy training. The group that I was working with got to talking about freedom, a hot topic for people who have recently been released from prison or are on parole. What makes you feel free or not free? I asked them. Many of them chimed in with similar answers. Parole stipulations and trouble finding a job make them feel not free. While the ability to choose their sleep schedule and their clothes and their food and where they go makes them feel free. And then one man, who I'll call Matthew, piped up. He said, I'm all about freedom, guys. When I first got out, I kept getting up every night at 3 a.m. to make myself a sandwich just because I could. But now I'm wondering if I will ever really be free. Everywhere I go, I got to watch out for the cops because I can get thrown back in jail just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And every time I go on a job interview, I get rejected because of my incarceration history. My family won't even talk to me now because they assume I'm just going to get thrown back in jail. I'm out here trying to be better trying to do good in society, and I feel like I'm just being told that I'll never be more than another black drug dealer. The other men in the group agreed that this was a real impediment to their freedom, that even if they were no longer incarcerated, they could make midnight sandwiches. They couldn't really make much else for themselves, and so they weren't really free. 
Many of us tell the version of the Passover story where Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no. And then they go back and forth and there's plagues and then there's a dramatic leaving story. And that story isn't really true. It's not fully true. Moses doesn't say, let my people go. Moses says, in the name of God, let my people go that they may serve me. Shlach et ami vaya avduni. It's a three-word phrase. The two clauses of that phrase are really important here. The first one, shlach et ami, let my people go, let them be free from slavery. Vaya avduni, so that they shall be able to serve me. The root of the word vaya avduni, avad, is the same as avodah, the biblical word that means work and worship in one. The reminder that good work is a form of worship and that worshiping is doing good work, is working for a better world. So both Moshe's refrain to Pharaoh and Matthew's story point to two different types of freedom. There is freedom from oppression, which Matthew celebrated with his midnight sandwich, the shlach et ami. And there is freedom to grow, to change, to pursue our holy purpose. We need both of these types of freedom. We cannot claim freedom when we are oppressed by another, when we are enslaved in a power dynamic to a person who gets to make decisions for us, to a society, to an institution that makes decisions for us. That is one version of freedom. But without the freedom to make holy decisions for ourselves, without the autonomy to act and be in good relationship with other people, we are not truly free. Which feels very different from the kind of freedom that gets used in America in 2022. So I wanted to check on this sort of dual definition of freedom. Is this just a Jewish thing or is this something inherent about freedom? So what do you do when you want to know what something means? You Google it. Well, helpfully, Merriam-Webster defines freedom as the quality or state of being free. So I had to look elsewhere. Turns out Wikipedia actually also does definitions, which is cool. And Wikipedia does, in fact, give us a helpful definition. It says, freedom is understood as either having the ability to act or change without constraint or to possess the power and resources to fulfill one's purposes. Which is exactly what Moshe asked Pharaoh for, and what Matthew was looking for and lacking in his own journey towards freedom. In other words, freedom means freedom from someone else telling you what to do, freedom from someone else making choices for your life. (coughs) And freedom also means freedom to do what you want, to not be told, but also to do outwards. But this is a little bit of a problem for us. This is where we run into problems in American society. Because this definition of freedom makes it easy to think of freedom as a zero-sum game. And I have to get as much freedom for myself as possible kind of approach, which might make us think that freedom is no one telling us what to do. (coughs) It's the license to do whatever we want with no restrictions. But of course, 
we have seen the myriad ways that this self-centered approach to freedom, my freedom, comes crashing into your freedom. If you and I view freedom as an existential power struggle, whether I am free from you or you are free from me, I am free from the things you want me to do and you are free from the things that I want you to do, then freedom becomes a zero-sum game. It becomes just a power struggle. It's not freedom. It's power. (coughs) The only ways out of the above paradigm are for one side to oppress the other or for us to compromise. For me to willingly sacrifice a portion of my freedom for the sake of you having yours and vice versa. Which is why the nuance of vaya of duni is so critical. It's in the plural. And the subject is God. The freedom that God wanted to lead the Israelites toward was not one in which they could go on a hiking trip in the Sinai Desert. The freedom that God wanted to lead them towards was one in which they could work together for a common purpose. Freedom in the Passover story is innately bound up with sacrifice. The point is that we should be sacrificing not to another human, but to a holy purpose, to an infinite in the service of building community. That is the biblical freedom that we are moving towards. And... This freedom to serve a higher purpose is predicated on being free from oppression. So just as it was not not enough for Matthew to be free from incarceration, but not rebuild his life, (coughs) we cannot be free to act with integrity, with intention when we are oppressed. Each time that Moses goes back to Pharaoh, and he goes back many times throughout the story, He goes back and he says exactly the same thing to Pharaoh. Let my people go that they may serve me. And the first many times this happens, Pharaoh gives him a series of similar responses, which are basically, sure, sure, sure. Um, Yeah, you and Aaron can go into the desert and make sacrifices, but don't come far. Go right, come right back. Or sure, sure, sure. You and all the men can go and make sacrifices, but you have to leave your women and children and wealth here. And of course, each time Moshe says, no dice, because I don't just want the vaya of Duni. I want the shlach et ami vaya of Duni. I want the freedom from oppression. And I want the freedom to go worship, to go do avodah. This kind of freedom, this freedom to act with integrity is not conditional. It cannot exist when the people that I am trying to build community with are not also free. We might be able to compromise on certain freedoms when pursuing a new life, but we cannot compromise when your freedom oppresses mine. The feminist writer and activist Rita Mae Brown wrote that a life of reaction is a life of slavery, intellectually and spiritually. One must fight for a life of action, not reaction, she said. We must feel that we are in control of our lives, free of enslavement and violence and oppression in order to be able to be free to build community together. This is a lesson that we must learn from the Passover story, 
that we are all responsible for each other's freedom, that any liberation that does not include you and me and all of us is not a true form of freedom. The Mishnah says, and we repeat this in the Seder, that every single one of us is obligated every year to see ourselves as if we personally went forth from Egypt. I take this command very seriously. So each year, I try to engage in the sacred imagination of putting myself in the Exodus story. And each year, since I have served as a spiritual guide at an organization literally called Exodus, that was the name of the spiritual community, the transitional community that I was a chaplain at, I find that my sacred imagination of the biblical Exodus story gets me thinking about Matthew and the thousands of other people who are not free despite no longer being incarcerated. Which I think is the point of the Mishnah's command. The rabbis of the Mishnah want us not to engage in a particular historical sympathy. We don't reenact the Passover story in the way that we reenact the Shavuot, the giving of the Torah at Sinai by staying up all night. We don't reenact it the way that we reenact Sukkot by building literal huts and living in them. The rabbis of the Mishnah don't want us to imagine our journey to freedom so that we can feel the salt spray on our faces as we cross through the waves. They want us to develop empathy for the emotions of the Exodus, to develop empathy for the feeling of being degraded, to move from that fear and degradation into the awe-inspiring and intense experience of passing through something miraculous and into the expanse of the desert. They want us to imagine going from oppression to freedom, going from looking inwards to looking outwards at community, seeing ourselves as part of a whole. Freedom, liberation, it's an ongoing process. We are always going to come back to the Passover Seder and talk about freedom. It's a North Star that we can and should always be turning to. It plays out on deeply personal levels. Each year, each of us might find ourselves thinking about personal freedoms that we are working for. Like Matthew's story of freedom from the carceral system. But it also plays out on a societal level. In the scale and the ongoing cycles of violence the slow march towards equal representation. That's the point of the Seder, to get you to locate your own personal freedom story in the context of the world that you are living in, to see that your journey and our journey towards collective liberation is always ongoing but can succeed. So let's engage in that together for just a moment here. This week, we mourned the deaths of three young Israelis who were shot while they enjoyed a night out in Tel Aviv. Perhaps you, like me, have been to Dizengoff Street in Tel Aviv. Perhaps you, too, have been to bars on the very block where these murders occurred. As I read about the attack, I could taste both my favorite drink at Spice House on the block where these men were shot, and I could taste the fear. Of this story. I could taste my fear about what I knew to be an almost certain escalation of violence that 
what that will mean for Israelis and for Palestinians. This is an oppressive violence. This is an unfreedom. It's a cyclical revenge and terror cycle that each side inflicts on the other when we think of freedom as a mine or yours competition. It's the kind of cycle that makes freedom feel impossible. The oppression of this pattern claimed the lives of young men enjoying a night out, and it will surely be used as a justification for more killing and pain and oppression. We are not free when we expect violence to perpetuate. When we justify killing others because we've seen them do it to us. The Passover story must call us to pray for freedom from this kind of cycle of violence. This week, we also celebrated a historic first in the United States when Judge Katanji Brown Jackson was confirmed as Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, the first black female Supreme Court justice in the United States. Perhaps you've seen the image floating around the internet of 115 little emoji faces, representing the 115 individuals who have sat on the Supreme Court of the United States in our country's history. 110 of those emojis represent men. Only five represent women. 112 of those emojis represent people who are white. Only three people have color of color have ever served on our nation's highest court. None of those 115 emojis represent anyone who identifies as anything other than straight and the gender they were assigned at their birth. Justice Brown Jackson's confirmation tips just a little bit that balance. Seeing her on TV, seeing her face in newspapers, eventually seeing her face in history books will surely teach other young people that they are free to pursue their loftiest dreams and succeed at them. Perhaps it will also pave the way for the first gay or trans or Asian or Pacific Islander or native justice of the Supreme Court. And it should give us faith that someday we won't be talking about firsts anymore. That someday there will be 250 emojis and they will represent the full spectrum of Americans. Someday, we will live in a world where all people will be welcomed into positions of power because we know that their presence will help ensure that others are free to do the same. We hold all of this as we sit down at the Passover table a week from now. We hold all of this as we tell an ancient story that echoes the story of our modern, our modern world. This is how the Passover Seder can be both an act of gratitude and a call to action. We're called to feel gratitude for the freedoms that we enjoy, from the ways that we do get to live free from oppression, free from persecution, the choices that we get to make to support our own well-being. But the Passover Seder should also fill us with a little bit of fire. The fire of inspiration that we should all have the freedom to make holy choices. 
the freedom to decide what is best for our collective well-being and health. And it should remind us that we have the freedom to overthrow tyrants, to make freedom from oppression and freedom to live in a better world available to all of us. May you have a happy and kosher Passover. Shabbat Replay is a production of Mishkan Chicago. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kalman Strauss. You can always see where and when our next service will be on our calendar. There's a link in the show notes. And if you appreciated the program, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I know you've heard it before, but it really does help. On behalf of Team Mishkan, thank you for listening. <laughs>